umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and we're going to talk about the michigan game the game yesterday where they fell to the nittany lions from penn state by a score of 27 to 17 Penn State came into the game without a win, and they left the big house with their, with their first victory of the season. So, Clint, uh, what did the SP Plus say about uh, the Wolverines' performance yesterday? Uh, the SP Plus system spit out um, numbers. that was It was pretty much a toss-up. It had Penn State winning by uh, a point or two, so uh, Michigan under underperformed the SP plus projection by nine points and uh, you know, but it was about as expected um, with, with Penn state actually keeping the edge, even though they were, they were winless. Um, I think going into the week, Penn state was Penn state was ranked 29th and Michigan was 40th. So uh, the numbers were, were a little bit more clear than, than what the records had showed and what the betting lines thought. So what was interesting to me when looking at the overall statistics is that, you know, you had a score of 27 to 17, and uh, I have to give you credit. You predicted Penn State would score 27, and I think that we both were hoping that Michigan was going to be able to eke out uh, a tiny victory being at home. So credit to you and the SP Plus for uh, rightly predicting what Penn State would do. I think I was disappointed by – you know, and again, I think most Michigan fans were disappointed by what Michigan did. You know, looking at the overall yards, Penn State just dominated. 417 total yards to 286 for Michigan. And when you look at the score, it, it, it really broke out. You know, it, it really followed pretty closely to how the stats look. One bright spot, Hassan Hoskins broke the 100-yard mark at running back, 17 yards or I should say 17 attempts for 101 yards, two touchdowns. Um, again, uh, Cade McNamara was the starting quarterback, was in and out a few times, uh, looked like he got shook up and, and has a little bit of an arm or a shoulder problem. Harbaugh talked about after the game that uh, Cade's shoulder was tightening up as the game went along. So credit to him for toughing it out and, and, and playing. I think, uh, you know, Michigan came into this game again, more injuries, more and more injuries. Uh, the big one this week or the new one was Giles Jackson being out, which hurt not only because he wasn't there uh, as a receiver, but we saw, you know, Michigan had a special teams punt muff, which, which did not help the situation at all. And uh, again, Giles is usually the guy back there taking kicks. So, um, you know, his loss, his injury impacted the game in more ways than one. Yeah, the the, the injuries are kind of piling up. Uh, Michigan definitely missed uh, Cam McGrone in the middle of the defense also. you know. But what I wrote in the recap that is just the hardest pill to swallow for me is that Penn State had all of the same problems that Michigan had. Anything that I was kind of holding on to in terms of yeah, but, or, or, or exceptional things about 2020 or, or potential justifications or excuses, 
you know, Penn State's got all of that also. They've got catastrophic injuries. They had guys opt out. Maybe the best linebacker in the conference or in the country, Micah Parsons, opted out um, for Penn State. They're down two running backs, their best receiving threat, tight end. You know, and they, they've got the same quarterback problems that the Michigan does. So that team had every reason to uh, to come out flat, not play well. They haven't won at all. And, you know, like, like you said, statistically, they, they dominated the game. Um, the biggest, the, the main reason today that I'm more disappointed in the offense than the defense is because I had recalibrated my expectations for the defense so much from the beginning of the season. You know, I, I, I expected Michigan to give up, uh, you know, about Penn State's average somewhere between 24 and 30 points. So I split the difference and, and said 27, but I thought Michigan would be able to kind of keep the offense clicking, not quite at the level that they did against Rutgers, but maybe something similar to what Iowa was able to do against Penn State and score, you know, maybe about 30 points. And, and I think I ended up predicting 28. So I think they could only come up with seven points in the first half and, and given up 17 that's the first time Penn State had scored more than seven points in the first half all year. You know, it was just a, another really awful start. Um, and uh, and then once Michigan was in a hold and they started kind of trading scores in the second half, and it wasn't enough to come back. It's the, that that narrative and, and what we saw. It, it it's not it's not new news. That's for sure. It was very similar to. Um, I think I, I mentioned to you sometime during the game or maybe right after the game that, man, looking at the numbers and, and the SP plus rankings, this is supposed to work out a lot like the Michigan versus Indiana game. And that is kind of how it felt. Michigan fell behind. By the time they got anything going, they were just doing enough to stay the same distance behind the opponent as they had been. So it was frustrating, um, but not surprising. That's uh, that's the summary. What struck me, and I, and I've talked about this before, so uh, I did my rewatch of the game, which was absolutely brutal. Like once wasn't bad enough, but you know when I when I go through and and rewatch the game, especially over the last several weeks when Michigan has really struggled, I try to take the 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 names off of the teams. Like okay, I'm just watching a football game. And I'm forgetting who's Michigan and I'm forgetting who's Penn State. And I'm forgetting the records and I'm forgetting the stats and my expectations. And what I was struck by is these are just really two bad football teams. It, it's not like, and we've talked about this in the past, and I always say, listen, it's not necessarily that you lose, but it's how you lose. All right. So when I'm watching that game, I couldn't tell which team didn't have a win. Okay. And just watching, you know, the, the play-by-play, I would have expected that Michigan was the team that the season had been a complete disappointment for and they hadn't even managed to win because Penn State just manhandled them, okay? Penn State just came in and got it done. And, yeah, they weren't really good and they weren't really excited, but they were better, okay? It struck me that they were the better bad team. And you have a Michigan team that's playing at home, you have a, a new starting quarterback. Um, you had Quiddy Pay 
back on the defense. And yes, you had injuries, but you had other guys who had opportunities to step up. And even if you assume that they've given up on the season, every player out there has a reason to play. They want to get good performances on tape, either to go to the next level or to put um, performances on tape for the next season or possibly the next coach or if they're going to transfer the next program. And I think what I was disappointed by is it really looked like a lackluster effort um, from Michigan. And and I know, uh, you know, you mentioned that you were mostly disappointed with the offense. So was I. I, th- I like your word, recalibrate. I'm not so surprised to see the bad tackling on the defensive side anymore. You have guys who are who are not necessarily the first string out there. You have guys who are trying to do their best, but this isn't this isn't what they expected. And you know, a lot of a lot of tackling is effort. And I saw a lot of guys just not okay. The overall quote is: "It didn't look like it was very fun to be out there, and it certainly wasn't fun to watch." And I think that overall. Um, vibe is, is what I took from watching the game. Um, again, disappointing and, you know, an epic failure. Um, just, yeah, just just really, really disappointing to, to see on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and there were, early on, there were some signs, some some glimmers of hope for, for the defense, even, you know, way down into the details um, the pass rush w- was almost getting to the quarterback again. I mean, we, they went from no pass rush back to, you know, nearly getting to the quarterback. So it seemed like there might be a, a couple tweaks that they could could make and, and maybe actually get some hits on the on the quarterback that would eventually create a, a couple turnovers that I thought would be necessary. Uh, and then that never happened. You know, Penn State adjusted to. Don Brown's pressure scheme, and, and, and really there wasn't a whole lot of pressure on the quarterback um, in the, the second half. And then uh, also I thought uh, Jamon Green out at the corner played probably uh, his best game of the season, maybe maybe next to the, the Minnesota outing. Um, not only was he, he much better in coverage, there were, uh, there were not the same penalty uh, problems on the outside, and, and we saw – a couple real effort plays from Jamon Green where he got through the block of his receiver and, and made nice tackles or, or stripping out some of those um, quick screens or, or outside runs. Um, so, so there were still positive individual efforts, but you know the, the thing about football that, that we all hear uh, over and over again is that you, you got to have 11 of those at the same time every play. You have to have 11 guys doing their job on every single play because it's just one one problem, one mistake, or one um, less than, than stellar effort that can cost you. And right now there are far too many from play to play that end up costing Michigan, uh, especially defensively. <coughs> so, Clint, obviously this isn't what we hoped for heading into this season, you know, a, a two and four Michigan team reeling. I mean, just, just completely spinning right now. Where, where's the program at? And, and I know that, you know, and when I ask that question, I mean, primarily in what we've seen watching the games, 
and and what we've talked, what we've heard, talking to the players and listening to the press conferences. How would you evaluate the state of the of the team right now as we head into these uh, at head into the tail end of the season? And and uh, obviously, um, you know, there's there's not there's not going to be a bowl game to go to. There's not going to be a, a Big Ten championship. There's not going to be a trip to Indianapolis. Where do you think this team is at right now? Well, I, I'll start like, like I usually do. I'll start with some of the some of the numbers and trends that I would look at first to kind of kind of anchor my own feelings and, and analysis, and then I'll get into kind of what I feel about that or what I see with the eyeball test from week to week. Um, first, offensively, even as as bad as yesterday was or as disappointing as yesterday was. This offense is is just a notch below um, where where it was last year, um, which obviously is disappointing. Well, you know we had high hopes that uh, a switch at quarterback would be the uh, the magic trick that went from a, a, a mediocre offense last year to a great offense, and now we've gone from mediocre to to you know below average with our execution. I still think a lot of that has to do with um, really poor uh, line play up front. Uh, again, you got true freshmen and redshirt freshmen that are kind of forced into duty uh, due to injuries. And, and I just, I don't think that they're able to sustain um, the game plan that, that they want going into uh, each game. Uh, every game, has started out very, very poorly in the first quarter uh, offensively. And then by the time the third and the fourth quarter come around, it seems like they've at least dialed into what they can get to work. So it's frustrating that we can't put together a game plan heading into a game that that is successful right away. It's consistently a slow start and then slowly ramps up by the by the end of the game. So in terms of numbers, this this offense is not that different from statistically what, what we saw last year. Um, it's better than the offense that we saw in 2017 that had a lot of these same problems, injuries and, and quarterback problems, uh, and offensive line play that was less than stellar. So it, it's actually not the worst offense of our recent history. So it, it could be worse. Um, that's something to kind of keep in mind going forward. But there's a lot of a lot of room for improvement quickly um, in terms of you know what you expect out of this group in 2021. Um, on defense, the trend has steadily since since Don Brown took over in 16 and had you know a really great Michigan defense. The trend has been continually giving up more big plays, uh, higher success rates. Uh, the 2018 defense was a little bit better than the 17 defense, but not much. And then 19 was a step down, and obviously 2020 is a huge step down. There's a lot that has to do, again, with, with 2020 and why it's it's been so poor this year. But um, clearly, clearly the trend is going in the wrong way, in, in the wrong direction. Um, and... It, it's it's going to be time for an overhaul on the defensive side of the ball at, at a minimum. I think um, 
when I look at the coaching staff and, and what I personally think are the shortcomings of what I see, um, it, it really looks like a team that is is in a little bit of disarray of behind the scenes, uh, you know, in the building. Um, can tell that there's a, 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 a kind of a vacuum of leadership. Um, part of that's probably because some of your, your guys that were emotional leaders of the, the team and the program got hurt early in the season, but it, I, I just don't think that, um, that, that you've got that same kind of fire and intensity from within your position coaches and coordinators um, and, and their links with your player leadership uh, it just seems seems to be broken, so I think that that that's also uh, come into play a little bit. I wonder a little bit how that uh, impacts recruiting. All of the recruiting news that we've seen has been more positive than what we've seen on the field. So th- they're doing something to kind of disconnect their their poor on field performance with what they're doing on the recruiting trail. But that that could change quickly going forward. So I, I think the biggest problem that I have right now with the coaching staff are it's it's a, not putting players in a position to succeed in a, in a multitude of ways. And I'll bring up a couple examples. In 2017, the you know Michigan brought in a highly touted recruiting class, especially at wide receiver. You know, that's Nico Collins, Tariq Black, and Donovan Peoples-Jones all come in. You've got five-star and four-star talent at wide receiver, but they didn't have a position coach, really. So they had a first-time position coach who was a GA, a guy that I'm sure did the absolute best that he could, you know. but they didn't have a, a proven wide receivers coach, and, and we saw a lack of development there with Tariq Black, especially, uh, who fought some injuries. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who had a uh, had a fine career, but definitely did not live up to um, what what we would have expected as he came in. And then you know Nico Collins was underutilized um, and, and made great individual plays, but again, statistically, probably didn't have the impact that we would have thought. And now I think we're seeing something similar with with Dax Hill at safety. Uh, a huge recruiting win over uh, Alabama and, and out of the state of Oklahoma. You, you bring him into Ann Arbor. He gets a significant amount of time as a true freshman, steps into a starting role as a sophomore, ready to take the next step and really be elite. And, you know, again, you don't have a position coach for him and you can see a lack of development for Dax Hill and, I think that that not only impacts what you see in terms of on-field performance, but you start to question leadership, um, you know, Monday through Friday in the building. And I think that that's part of what we're seeing with uh, some of the things that you talked about before, like uh, tackling or, or lack of effort or self-preservation, you know, not getting 11 guys flying to the ball. You know, somebody else has it. You know, those, those small things that really frustrate fans. I think a lot of that is uh, is borne out Monday through Friday in your building with uh, level of engagement and enthusiasm and, and really how much trust there is between 
players and, and the coaching staff. So those are the big misses as well as, you know, depth obviously is a problem right now. One really bad rash of injuries and, and opt outs and Michigan is into the walk-on level at, at some key positions. So those are the, those are all the, the check marks against um, Jim Harbaugh's uh, program right now. Those are all, you know, huge problems that have to be dealt with, whether it's Jim Harbaugh trying to reverse course and fix it himself, or if it's another head coach, those are the things that are going to have to get taken care of. <clears throat> and it's a, uh, it, it's a big mountain to climb. It can be done. You know, I, I, I think right now the, the thing that I would like to dig into is to see how uh, Brian Kelly at, at Notre Dame um, resurrected a four and eight Notre Dame team a couple of years ago into um you know, a, a relatively successful season last year and now, um, you know, a top five ranked team this year. So what, what are the types of changes that need to happen if it is a, a coach that's going to stay and fix his own problems or if it's a new coach coming in, um, then then what are the types of things that, that we can expect? But I, I, I plan on trying to dive a lot deeper into where do we go from here in 21 um, because I just I don't know how much this team and this program can can flip a switch in the uh, in the remaining games they've got left this year. I see a team that's brittle, and I I'm not criticizing any individual player. I'm not questioning questioning their toughness or their commitment, but I'm saying as a group, I don't think they recovered after that stunning loss to Michigan State. I think that due to the nature of the season, the on again, off again, are we going to play? Are we not going to play? Are we going to have a season? Are we not going to have a season? I'm not sure that as a group, everyone wanted to play this season. And I think when they got popped in the nose against Michigan state, that really, I think the things began to unravel. We talked about previously, you know, you didn't have the non-conference schedule to work out the bugs, and you also didn't have those three or four wins to kind of bolster your record. So when the Michigan State loss happened, it pretty much sunk the season. And I think that guys started looking to next year or post-football career and I, I don't think this team has really recovered. So the question for me is, what is the administration? I'm trying to imagine I'm Jim Harbaugh. And what argument and what case do I make that the program is in good hands and that Michigan should renew their commitment to him? Because what's going to need to happen, you know, we've talked about this, that he has one more year on his contract. And surprisingly, as you mentioned, recruiting is still going relatively well. But if he doesn't have more contract certainty, that will change and that will change quickly. And I think that even some of the recruits who are committed um, will, will flip, right? So what the Michigan administration has to do, they have to decide – is this a momentary blip? Is this season an outlier? 
And do they want to renew Jim Harbaugh for multiple years out? Do they want to embrace him and say, this is our guy and we know that that we're heading in a good direction? I mean, and they talked about it on the broadcast, right? The big difference between Jim Harbaugh and James Franklin is, you know, James Franklin's been to Indianapolis and uh, he has a $30 million buyout. He has uh, an extension. So it's a much bigger deal to pull the plug on him versus Jim Harbaugh right now. And, you know, I know there were a lot of fans who were upset about the commentators bringing up Harbaugh's status, but I don't know how you could watch that game and not question it, right? It's not like Michigan has been uh, having great success against Ohio State. It's not like Michigan has been to Indianapolis. It's not like they've made the college football playoffs. So even if you throw this year out, I think there are legitimate questions about the program. So, like I said, I, I try to imagine what that, uh, you know, what that end of season meeting looks like, where not only does Jim Harbaugh, you know, when he came in, a lot was made about how Jim Harbaugh measured everything in practice and she could show you stats and and what players are leading what and who's leading in drills and who's doing more reps. Well, I'm wondering what dashboard would you show that the program is doing well right now? And, and, and I don't mean that it sounds a little snarky, but I, I I'm questioning in a legitimate manner. I don't know. I know there are people out there who still support coach Harbaugh. I don't know what that objective dashboard would look like. And I think, uh, you know, you mentioned Brian Kelly. What's going to have to happen here uh, if if Jim Harbaugh is going to be provided an opportunity to bail this out is they're going to have to make a, a commitment to him. And they are going to have to embrace and decide that this is our guy. Um, you and I have talked about the Northwestern example, right, of, you know, Northwestern knows who they are and they are going to compete every X number of years and they're going to have down years, but they like the way the program is being run and uh, the boosters support it. And again, they know who they are in the pecking order and they are okay with that. So I think the larger question is who does Michigan want to be and, and how do they move the program in that direction moving forward? Yeah, those are, those are absolutely legitimate questions i think if if i were to try to get into that hypothetical meeting at the in in december between board manual and, and jim harbaugh whatever that ends up looking like um the 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 minimum requirement for for jim harbaugh is is some self-awareness and he, he's got to be able to account uh in a methodical manner that he knows where the issues are and how to address the root causes of those issues. Um, I, I think to, to his credit in the past, when we've had questions that were this strong, whether it was um, poor offensive line play or um, offensive coordinator by committee, right? There were things in, in the past with Harbaugh's program that, that frustrated you and I. And he was able to kind of diagnose those things and showed a willingness to 
to change directions and, and make some tough calls and even, you know, uh, separate from, from guys that have been, you know, loyal uh, assistant coaches and his staff through the years. So um, it's something that he he can do and, and knows how to do, but it has to start there that he can show these are the problems. You know, it's going to be a relatively long list. These are the root causes of those problems, which is going to take a lot of, uh, you know, painful analysis. And then here's how I would fix those. And, and honestly, if it, if it were me, um, just approaching it from, from a problem solving standpoint, I, I would, I think that he's got to go into it almost like a job interview as if he is, is a candidate against, uh, you know, some of the other names that are swirling in the coaching carousel that if he really, really wants to, uh, continue to be, um, the, the head coach uh, of the Michigan football program, then he, he's going to have to kind of re-interview for that in this off season and put together uh, a pretty strong, uh, package of information of how what he would come in and fix that will yield uh, you know, immediate results and then it probably starts with uh, answering that first question of, of what is the Michigan football program what is it going to uh, you know what what is success defined as for this program and then how are you going to reach that I think for the first five seasons under Harbaugh um, it's easy to to point at the, the major shortfalls for sure. The lack of the championship games and not beating Ohio state. Those are, those are pretty simple, but um, he, he did recruit at a high level. He did um, put players into the NFL draft, which those two things go hand in hand. I think his, uh, the program's efficiency in, in taking guys and, um, and putting them into the NFL draft is a, is a big reason that um, talented players, you know, come to Michigan, you know, because they trust Jim Harbaugh and his staff to prepare them to be uh, NFL draft worthy players. Um, so if that's the center of his um, the model for his program, then then they've got to embrace that and they got to continue to do that successfully. But you also if you've got 10 and 11 or, or, or 8, 9, 10 NFL players on your roster, and you're still losing four or five games a year, then there's a disconnect with talent and then how you're utilizing those guys. And, and that disconnect could sow seeds of, of distrust. So I think he's really, really going to have to show that he can continue to bring in high-level talent, but also that they are willing to um, really fit their program uh, game planning on a week-to-week basis in season, but also how they structure their program out of season to maximize the the competitiveness between the players and then also how they're going to utilize those guys' strengths effectively. Um, so I, I, I think that you anything that comes out of this offseason with Jim Harbaugh has got to be he, – he's lost a lot of the leverage he has as a coaching candidate uh, or at least that he had in 2014 where he was probably the hottest coaching candidate on the planet. And um, he's still a very good coach, but I, I think if it was me preparing, I would, I would want to prepare as if, um, you know, he's got to win his own battle right now. He, he's got to go in there and show that he is the best answer going forward. 
and uh, at least really try to to sell that decision to the athletic director. And we'll see uh, we'll see if there's a change in direction or not. Um, the 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 financial situation is is another kind of chip that that is it's the elephant in the room that's for sure that I don't know how from a leverage perspective I don't know how Jim Harbaugh can say on the heels of the 2020 season I I deserve an extension at the same rate of what the university is paying him given the budget situation so we'll see how how actions speak louder than words in December. Um, but a lot of the things that would create leverage for Jim Harbaugh are just not there. So we'll see how it shakes out. You know, I think that's a good point. How exactly, you know, we've talked about he's very well paid and I assume that he wants to continue being well paid. I can't imagine Michigan sustaining him at his current rate. You know, is he going to take that? I, I again, I, I don't even know how Michigan works the numbers right now. So, you know, is it a kind of situation where he comes in and says, "Hey, I'm taking one for the team," and uh, and and the athletic department? You know, we've talked about that the athletic department and the university in general has taken a major financial hit due to COVID. So, uh, does he look like a good guy and come in and take a cut? You know, he's talked about that. You know, he make, he does his own negotiations and he makes his own deals. I, I can't imagine, you know, I, I, you know, again, talking about that, that meeting, I'm trying to imagine uh, what kind of, uh, you know, if, if you did have a formal agent who would do a formal report and come up with all these statistics, I can't imagine how anyone would make a case. And I, I think the case to be made is, well, who else are you going to get, right? <laughs> and that's, that's kind of a kind of a backhanded way to, to move into a, a, a discussion, right, for renewal. Um, I know there are names out there swirling that Michigan fans would like. We don't know if those people are available. We don't know if people want this job. And I think one of the, the scary things for me as a Michigan fan is, so we look at the last three coaching regimes, right? We had Rich Rodriguez, who... Looking back with hindsight, we can kind of snicker at, but he was a top coaching candidate at that time. Remember, Alabama had wanted him. So it's not like Michigan uh, took, you know, the scraps off the off the heap, right? And, you know, there were, as, as Michigan fans know, there was a lot of problems with that coaching search. And they kind of came up with Rich Rodriguez at the la- at the last minute. But again, it's not like he wasn't a hot candidate at that point. So um, we go past Rich Rodriguez. We go to Brady Hoke, who people had a lot of hope for. And again, a good guy, did his best. But he wasn't able to be successful here. But in the back of, I think, almost everyone's minds, and I know in the back of the minds of many people in the media, okay, I remember sitting down, uh, in the interview room, after Michigan had gotten smacked by Ohio State in the Rich Rodriguez era, and somebody in the national media saying, hey, are you hoping for Jim Harbaugh yet? Because I remember being kind of reluctant at that point to to bring him back. So, and again, not that I didn't think that he was going to do well, but at that time, he wasn't my top candidate. So, 
I know that in the back of many people's minds, Jim Harbaugh was always the guy who, who we could hope to ride in and uh, bring the cavalry, right? Well, you got him, and it hasn't worked out the way we would hoped, and it hasn't worked out the way he would hoped. So where are you at now? So it, mm. it, it's really, a, I think, a vexing question is if, uh, and again, we can look at the last you know, year since Harbaugh came in in 2015 and, you know, he hasn't beaten Ohio State and he's only won one bowl game. But when he came in, the expectations were high. So if a coach with his pedigree can't get it done here, what does that say about the environment and the competitive nature of the Big Ten and, and the competitive nature of the college football world in general? Yeah, I think the that's a really key question for the program and, and by extension uh, for, the, for the fan base. I, I just, what I hope comes out of all of this, regardless of who ends up in the, in the head coach position is, is again, kind of a, a recalibration of how we approach um, the, the thought process on what, what expectations are not in terms of performance, not in terms of what the goals are for the football team to accomplish in a given season, but that there are there's no such thing as a, a savior that's going to ride in and fix things. And if somebody comes in and leads a turnaround, what that means is that they mobilized an entire program to do a lot of hard work and get everybody pushing in the same direction. There's no there's no silver bullet. There's no magic wand that you wave. There's a lot of work that has to be done so that the person who can answer that question of here are the problems that this program has right now and here's how I would fix all of these problems and here's what I need in terms of resources from the athletic department in order to be able to do that, that that's how you have to approach it. There's got to be a full accounting of the problems because there is no nobody's going to ride in and because they had success at any other program or in the NFL, right? If we didn't learn that lesson from, from the Jim Harbaugh era to this point, then we'll never learn it. So at least for me, you know, assuming that, that somebody's going to come in and be successful because they have been successful is, is a fallacy. There's still a lot of, of work that has to be done. And one of the the, the biggest highlights for this, and, and I think part of what may have kind of s taken some of the wind out of Harbaugh's sails between December 14 and now, is when he came in, he came in with his hair on fire, as as we expected. Um, he, he really took a creative look at how he was going to compete on the recruiting trail with programs that you know, had fallen into their own, you know, methods of, of bringing in high-end talent. And when he started the satellite camps across the, the Southeast and, and nationally, right, that was a big deal. When he when he started kind of taking shots at the, the high-level programs in the SEC and, uh, and across the nation, you know, that was a big deal. He, he wasn't afraid to kind of put himself into the spotlight and then you know backed it up with, with his performance and a lot of there were rule changes over the last six years 
that have been put in place specifically to combat, you know, what Harbaugh was doing. And instead of continuing to innovate and come up with a different idea, you know, I think some of that fight has, has gone away. Um, and and it's going to take somebody who can really reignite that type of, of enthusiasm, um, in all facets of, of the, the program and, and what needs to happen year round, that's what it's going to take. And it's, it's not like that Jim Harbaugh is incapable of doing it. He just has not done it for at least the last handful of years. So if he wants to be the, uh, the guy, then for me, that's how, how you would show it. He'd approach that in December with whatever he does with his contract negotiations He'd immediately get to work on rebuilding his staff to address the problems that are that are apparent and some that might not be apparent to us. He's got to re-recruit his entire uh, roster, in my opinion. I think that there's there's folks that are, um, you know, in self-preservation mode and, and might be looking for better opportunities. He's got to figure out what you know who, who's in for the long haul on his own roster. And then he's got to get to work on putting together a spring program that's going to address the problems that we see on the field. And if that isn't clear immediately in December from Jim Harbaugh, then then you got to find somebody who, who can rebuild and come in new and start fresh. But you still got to answer all of those questions. So that's that's where we're at. And, and December and January uh, will be interesting regardless of which direction it's going. So let's. Uh, Let's just hope that we start climbing that that mountain one step at a time here in the next few weeks. Well, I can't say it any better than that. So that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for umgoblue.com on iTunes. Go Blue!